Oops, forgot my computer. I might need that, I can't remember at all. In fact, I struggle to remember where I left my shoes in the morning, so there you go. Um, like I mentioned, we've been on this journey through the story and uh, it is the greatest story ever told. It is actually a story that isn't finished being written, which means that you and I are characters in this story. God is challenging us to have the same kind of faith in him that we've seen in the characters that we've studied in the Old Testament and now in the New Testament. So God wants us to have enough courage to follow him, to align our life with the story he is writing. We are learning through the characters in these true stories, principles about God and lessons that will help us live a life in God that will lead us down paths of righteousness. The story begins with God's vision. His crowning achievement is when God created us and then came down to be with us in a beautiful garden. But the first two people, Adam and Eve, reject this vision and are escorted from the garden because they represent humanity, their decision carries over to us. Their sin nature is transmitted to us through conception. We prove this transaction has taken place when we engage in our first wrong. The story of Noah showed us that we can't fix this problem ourselves, so God launches a plan to get us back, while he, uh, um, which he will accomplish through a new nation, which he builds from scratch called Israel. And what is the plan? Well, the plan is not a what, but a who. And he will come from Israel, more specifically the tribe of Judah, from the lineage of David. God is going to actually come down and take on human flesh and take all of our sin nature upon himself and pay for it with his sinless blood. This is why the virgin birth is critical. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, wasn't born from the seed of man, so didn't inherit that nature, but from the Holy Spirit. When the blood pours from his side, his back, from the crown on his head, it isn't contaminated like ours, but pure. And God the Father accepts it as payment for all of our sins. And that's worth a hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, all who embrace Jesus in this life will be forgiven. And when this happens, Jesus, the carpenter, begins construction on our new residence in the kingdom to come, which has a beautiful garden right in the middle of it. So after all these years of waiting for God's perfect timing, Jesus is born. Within fast forward 30 years and Jesus' ministry begins at his baptism by John. But we live life in the lower story, don't we? And today we've come to chapter 24 of the story. 
And Jesus is in his second of three years of ministry before the cross. The first was a year of inauguration. This is the year of his popularity. And the final year will be a year of opposition. And crowds by the thousands are gathering to, to get just a glimpse of Jesus, to hear him teach, to watch him perform miracles and even, yes, to be healed themselves. And he never disappointed them. As we read this section of the scriptures, we are reminded that we are wise to build our lives on the teaching of Jesus. Know the teaching of Jesus and know his life like the back of your hand and then have courage to live it out in your own life. Let me give you just four examples. The first one comes from an incident in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and he falls asleep. A storm breaks loose that is so severe, the water is coming into the boat and it looks like they're going to capsize. Meanwhile, Jesus is still fast asleep. I've said it a few times before, I'll say it again, never underestimate the power of a nap. <laughs> They wake him up and they charge him with not caring about them. Jesus tells the storm to be quiet, to be still. And the water becomes completely calm. Then he turns to the disciples and issues this challenge. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? See, if Jesus is in your boat, you don't need to be afraid of the storms. And the question I have for you, are you living in a storm right now? Probably many of us are. Randy Frazee, the author of this series, shared a story about one, one time where his family was in the middle of a storm. And I could have inserted all of our stories about this, but this one's a good one, which... I could have used one, but I probably would have cried myself if it was a personal. He says his wife Roseanne was in for a checkup and they found something suspicious on the scan, which turned out to be an enlarged lymph node. The doctor said it was impressive in terms of its size, a little over four centimetres. He was concerned enough to order a biopsy and the pathologist and pulmonologist were right there to tell them on the spot what they saw. Andy, uh, um, Randy recounts, as I was waiting all alone in the waiting room for the doctors to come tell me the results, that waiting room was my equivalent of the boat. Everything was quiet, unlike the disciples where the waves were whipping and the wind was howling. I find that the older I get, the more boats I am in when storms break out. When Roseanne and I are in a boat, we rehearse together the promises of God. We ask, what is the worst thing that could happen? Last year it was me in her position and she was in the waiting room and the worst that could happen for either of us was that we could have died. We remind ourselves that Jesus has provided healing from death. We ask ourselves in this moment of turbulence, do we really believe this? And we do. When the pulmonologist came in, he calmed the storm. He said, it looks like a really big lymph, lymph node and there doesn't seem to be any problems. 
When Roseanne woke up, she looked to me with the questions in her eyes and I was able to tell her, you're going to be okay. He says, we cried together, we have averted this storm once again. And he goes on, every time I find myself back in this boat and the storm breaks out because I've rehearsed the promises of Jesus and gotten to know him more because I have, like the disciples, spent more time with him, I'm finding myself with less and less fear. Maybe on the day when the storm that actually capsizes my boat or my wife's boat, I will be able to declare with confidence of the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and staff comfort me. We've had similar scares in our family and I'm sure that you could list many in yours too. And... This year alone, Kelly had a skin cancer cut off and other concerns investigated, but my whole family, every single one of us, including my parents, brothers, their families, we've all had COVID as well. My dad, he's just recently had a hernia operation which led to other complications, infections, and even a very large kidney stone and is still working his way through all of this with more operations to come. And it's been more than nine weeks now since he first came down with these problems. I'm sure your family have these things too. But he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We don't have any reason to fear because victory has been won in Christ Jesus. Yes, even victory over death. In Matthew 14:22, we have another boating incident. This time the disciples are in a boat with Jesus once again, the waters are super choppy because of the strong winds. The morning sun's about to break over the horizon and off in the distance they see a figure walking on water towards them. Their first guess is that it is a ghost. Because, you know, we've seen so many of those. That's where my mind would go first too, isn't it? If out in the water and you see this figure coming across, a ghost? Anyway, Jesus calls out and tells them, Do not be afraid because it's him. And this seems to be a theme in Jesus' ministry because we live in fear. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, what did he say? Come on out. He said, come. Peter steps out and would you believe it? He starts walking on water. And as long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus and not on the waves, he's good. The same is true of us. If you want to walk on water, then you have got to get out of the boat. See, some of you are playing it way too safe. You're playing it too safe. You're not stepping out of the boat. God has more in store for you. For some of you, you even know what it is, but you cling to life in the boat. You cringe at taking a faith risk. For some of you, it might be downsizing your home and expenses to have less stress and more time with your family. For some of you, it might be leaving a job that is sucking you dry. For some of you, it might be taking an opportunity in front of you that you have been procrastinating about. For others, it might even be taking on more responsibility at work. 
Maybe it's learning to accept who you are and how God has made you and get out there and go for it. Don't hold back on God's calling for you. See, Randy and Roxanne, they haven't had the easiest of lives and neither have their family. And it's great to hear the stories of other people because we find that we are not alone. We all have our own issues and problems and challenges. And you see, when their second son, David, was born and without any ultrasound to warn them, as he was born, they discovered that he did not have a left hand. He's missing everything below his left elbow. And they were concerned about his ability to survive in a pretty world where everyone has to have their act together just to show up. You know, they wondered if his self-esteem would be strong. So they went to a number of psychologists and counsellors and one counsellor said to them, he said this, watch him. If he walks into a room and hides his stub and hangs back in the corner of the room, then you'll know that he's struggling. However, if he comes into the room and his stub is out in clear sight, you'll know he's comfortable in his own skin and everything is okay. As they watched David, they noticed he was the first one in the room and he was waving his stub all over the place. He couldn't care less about it. Later on, it became his pickup line for girls. They would ask, what happened to your arm? And he would say, well, it was a violent storm on the ocean that day and I jumped into, water the, into the water to save the baby and the shark bit my arm off, but I saved the baby. And women would say, oh, I love you. Today, their son's 34 years old, married to a beautiful woman who's raising, uh, who, who uh, was raised at their church. He's an attorney living in Washington on Pennsylvania Avenue. Randy asked him the other day during the hearings of the Supreme Court judge, David, do you see yourself being a judge one day? And he said, maybe, but right now I enjoy advocating for people who have no voice. And Randy said to himself, this is a guy who stepped out of the boat. Uh, here's another one you might want to live by, one more among the dozens of teachings of Jesus. This one comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' cousin who proclaimed his arrival so fearlessly and baptised him, has just been beheaded by Herod. And Matthew 14, 13 tells us, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. But the crowds just followed him and just kept pulling at him to teach some more and heal some more. The story tells us he had compassion on them even in his time of need and conducted a healing service for them. At evening time, the disciples came and told Jesus to send the people back into the town to get something to eat. Jesus instructed them, though, to feed them all, all 5,000 And that's just the men, so we're talking about 15,000 people here covering the hillside. The disciples who didn't have two nickels to rub together said, you're crazy, it would take half a year's salary for these people just to have one bite of food. Andrew, one of his disciples, said, there is a boy who's got five loaves of bread and, and two fish, but how far will that go? 
You know the story, but you're paying me to say it. So here, here we go. Jesus tells them to have the people seated. He takes the bread and fish and gives thanks for it and has them start passing out the food. Eventually, everyone eats until they are full and there is still some food left, left over. And that's pretty crazy because we've got to understand this. Jesus is no ordinary man. And from this, we learn an important truth. Give Jesus what you have and let him multiply it. It's not on you. It's not on you. This week, we bought two calves. And uh, they are Hereford Frisian Crosses, our boy, Sirloin, and our girl is T-Bone. And my whole life until we moved to Wangaratta, I have been a city slicker, right? I've lived in Geelong, in Sydney, in Adelaide, and in Melbourne, and also in Hobart. <laughs> Almost forgot that one there. Um, what business do I have in raising calves? I don't know, but it's fun. Uh, and Kelly expressed such a sentiment last weekend, but not quite as nicely, before we got them. Um, but it's something that I've wanted to do since we bought our five acres. And everything seems to have worked out fine so far. It is a getting out of the boat stretching experience. Um, but I also believe with faith, it'll be a multiplying experience too. So the first morning I went out to feed them. This is Tuesday morning. We'd pick them up on Monday and the farmer that we picked them up from was feeding them once in the morning and we've decided to feed them twice, once morning and once night. Um, and I had them in a little pen that I'd made for them and I wasn't going to let them out until they'd drunk because switching from cow's milk to powdered milk, you know, some things can go a bit, bit awry and I'm not sure if you know much about calves because I don't, I'm learning everything, but there's this thing that they get called the scows or something like that. And uh, if, if they don't start drinking, you know, they can, at, at pretty, pretty young, you know, they're four weeks old, I think now, um, they can turn south pretty quickly and, you know, dehydration is a major factor and they could die very, very quickly apparently. So I really didn't want this to happen. And so I went out there with the milk in the bottle, nice and warm, perfect for them and stuck it in front of them. They could not care less. I was like, no, I don't really want these calves to die, right? So I was trying to feed them for a good 10 or 15 minutes, just having these things there with the milk, like, come on, come on. And I, was, I, I prayed that the night before and that morning that you know, God would, would help these things to start sucking. Um, and then that, they just were not interested. And so I just prayed out loud this time, right in front of them, asking God, to help them start sucking on these teats and to take the milk within a minute that started. You know, it's those little things that build faith. Now, do you think God really cares whether I have cows or not? Do you think he does? He does because I do, right? And what God gives us, we just encourage to him to multiply it, to, to bring blessing on that. Now, this is not prosperity gospel, but it's trust. It's faith. God cares for you. And he cares for what you care about because you care about it. And so, I, I, it's, it's not a perfect illustration of Jesus multiplying in feeding 5,000. 
will be fed by these, no doubt, soon. Um, but I still gave these calves to Jesus and asked him to do the rest. And sometimes we all need to do that. Hand things over to Jesus and trust him with the outcome. And here's one more of my personal favourites from the Best of Jesus teaching mix. After Jesus fed the 5,000, he was physically and emotionally exhausted from all the demands and plus he knew he needed to process the death of John. And so he sends his disciples on ahead of him in a boat to their next location. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23 in your Bible. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus is modelling a very important principle for us. If you don't come apart, you'll come apart. Do you get it? If you don't come apart, you'll come apart. Some of you need to hear that. Jesus not only did it here, but read the Gospels for yourself. You see this pattern in his life of Jesus over and over again. Right before a big decision or right after a major event in his life, he got away from it all and spent time with his Father. And if Jesus felt a need to do this, how much more do we need to do this? And some of you are burning the candle at both ends. Some of you are faced with a major decision. Some of you have gone through some serious events in your life. And as a Christian, you need to get alone with God and get yourself centred, get yourself anchored, get yourself refreshed. Earlier that morning as the sun was rising, a refreshed Jesus got up. And that is the day he walked on water to catch up with the guys in the boat ahead of him. So if we fail to do this, we will quickly find ourselves going about all of life in our own strength. And I don't know about you, but I'm not strong enough to do this alone. I need to keep centred in Christ, in prayer, regular patterns of communicating with God, sitting with his word, meditating on Jesus, resting in him. That's what I need. Because if we don't come apart from the business and craziness and the mess of life, we will come apart. We will fail at the weak spots. You probably have your passages that are your favourites from the teaching of Jesus as he shows us how to live. And I'd encourage you this week to revisit them. Make time to quiet your mind, remove yourself from the busy and crazy and rest in Jesus. See, Jesus not only came to die for our sins, but he also came to show us how to live. So I'd encourage you to bathe yourself in the teaching and life of Jesus. Know his way of life better than anyone else. Follow his example, and you too may be walking on water. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you not only for the fact that Jesus came to die as our saviour, but that he came to show us how to live. How to live a life that brings you honour and glory and that brings success to our life also as you measure success. 
Lord, may we continue to take moments each day to quiet ourselves before you, to withdraw from our world and draw near to you. May we cultivate healthy habits that lead to gospel-centered growth in our lives. May patterns and rhythm of rest and restoration in you be formed in each one of us. May we follow the example of Jesus and take the risks for your glory and the hope of the gospel. May we step out in faith in areas you are leading us. May we continue to give the big and small things in life to Jesus to multiply and bring blessing to ourselves, our families and to others. Lord, it is wise to build our lives on the teachings of Jesus. And so may we take comfort that Jesus is in our boat. And so we don't have to be concerned about the storms. Lord, thank you for your gracious provision and your care for each one of us. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to conclude our...